Chapter 5 of A Float on the Ohio, An Historical Pilgrimage of a Thousand Miles in a Skiff, From Redstone to Cairo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert Hoffman. A Float on the Ohio by Reuben Goldthwaites. Chapter 5 Houseboat Life decadence of steamboat traffic wheeling and wheeling creek above moundsville west virginia thursday may tenth our friend saw us off at the gravelly beach just below the works there was a slight breeze ahead but the atmosphere was agreeable and pilgrim bore a happy crew now as brown as gypsies the first painful effects of sunburn are over and we are hardened in skin and muscle to any vicissitudes which are likely to be met upon our voyage. Rough weather, river mud, and all the other exigencies of a moving camp are beginning to tell upon clothing. We are becoming like gypsies in raiment, as well as color. But what a soul-satisfying life is this gypsying! We possess the world while afloat on the Ohio. There are, in the course of the summer, so many sorts of people traveling by the river steamboat passengers, campers, fishers, houseboat folk, and what not, that we attract little attention of ourselves. But Pilgrim is indeed a curiosity hereabout. What remarks we overhear about her? Honey skiff, that! Right smart skiff! Good skiff for her place, but no good for this year river! And so on. She is a lap-streak, square-sterned craft, of white cedar three-eighths of an inch thick, fifteen feet in length, and four of beam weighs just a hundred pounds, comfortably holds us and our luggage, with plenty of spare room to move about in, is easily propelled, and as staunch as can be made. Upon these waters we meet nothing like her, not counting the curious floating boxes and punts, which are knocked together out of driftwood by boys and poor whites, and are numerous all along shore. The regulation Ohio River skiff, is built on graceful lines but of inch boards heavily ribbed and is a sorry weight to handle the contention is that to withstand the swash of steamboat wakes breaking upon the shore and the rush of drift in times of flood a heavy skiff is necessary there is a tendency to decry pilgrim as a plaything unadapted to the great river a reasonable degree of care at all times however and keeping the boat drawn high on the beach when not in use such care as we are familiar with upon our Wisconsin inland lakes, would render the employment of such as she quite practicable, and greatly lessen the labor of rowing on this waterway. The houseboats, dozens of which we see daily, interest us greatly. They are scows, or flats, greatly differing in size, with low-ceilinged cabins built upon them, sometimes of one room, sometimes of half a dozen and varying in character from a mere shanty to a well-pointed cottage. Perhaps the greater number of these crafts are afloat in the river, and moored to the bank, with a gangplank running to shore. Others are beached, having found a comfortable nook in some higher stage of water, and been fastened there, propped level with timbers and driftwood. Among the houseboat folk are young working couples starting out in life, and hoping ultimately to gain a foothold on land unfortunate people who are making a fresh start men regularly employed in riverside factories and mills invalids who at small expense are trying the fresh air cure others who drift up and down the ohio seeking casual work 
and legitimate fishermen who find it convenient to be near their nets and to move about according to the needs of their calling but a goodly proportion of these boats are inhabited by the lowest class of the population poor crackers who have managed to scrape together enough money to buy or enough energy and driftwood to build such a craft and near or at the towns many are occupied by gamblers illicit liquor dealers and others who while playing nefarious trades make a pretense of following the occupation of the apostles houseboat people whether beached or afloat pay no rent and heretofore have paid no taxes kentucky has recently passed more as a police regulation than as a means of revenue an act levying a state tax of twenty-five dollars upon each craft of this character and the other commonwealths abutting upon the river are considering the policy of doing likewise the houseboatmen have however recently formed a protective association and proposed to fight the new laws on constitutional grounds the contention being that the ohio is a national highway and that commerce upon it cannot be hampered by state taxes this view does not however affect the taxability of beached boats which are clearly squatters on state soil both in town and country the riffraff of the houseboat element are in disfavor it is not uncommon for them beached or tied up to remain unmolested in one spot for years with their pigs chickens and little garden patch about them mayhap a swarm or two of bees and a cow enjoying free pasturage along a weedy bank or on neighboring hills occasionally however as the result of spasmodic local agitation they are by wholesale ordered to betake themselves to some more hospitable shore and not a few farmers like our friend at beaver river are quick to pattern after the city police and order their visitors to move on the moment they see a mooring for the truth is the majority of those who live on the river as the phrase goes have the reputation of being pilferers farmers tell sad tales of despoiled chicken roosts and vegetable gardens from fishing shooting collecting chance driftwood and leading a desultory life along shore like the wreckers of old they naturally fall into this thieving habit having neither rent nor taxes to pay and for the most part not voting and having no share in the political or social life of landsmen they are in the state yet not of it a class unto themselves whose condition is well worthy the study of economists interspersed with the houseboat folk although of different character are those whose business leads them to dwell as nomads upon the river merchant peddlers who spend a day or two at some rustic landing while scouring the neighborhood for oil barrels and junk which they load in great heaps upon the flat roofs of their cabins giving therefore at goodly prices groceries crockery and notions often bartering their wares for eggs and dairy products to be disposed of to passing steamers whose clerks in turn pack them for the largest market on their route blacksmiths who moor their floating shops to country beach or village levee wherever business can be had floating theatres and opera companies with large barges built as playhouses towed from town to town by their gaudily painted tugs on which may occasionally be perched the vociferous steam piano of our circus days whose soul-stirring music can be heard for four miles traveling sawyers with old steamboats made into sawmills employed by farmers to work up into lumber such logs as they can from time to time bring down to the shore the product being oftenest used in the neighborhood but occasionally rafted and floated to the nearest largest town and a miscellaneous lot of traveling craftsmen who live and work afloat 
chair-makers, upholsterers, feather and mattress renovators, photographers, who land at the villages, scatter abroad their advertising cards, and stay so long as the ensuing patronage warrants. A motley assortment, these neighbors of ours, an uncultivated field for the fiction writers. We have struck up acquaintance with many of them, and they are not bad fellows, as the world goes, philosophers all, and loquacious to a degree, but they cannot, for the life of them, fathom the mystery of our cruise. We are not in trade, we are not fishing, we are not canvassers, we are not show people. What in tarnation are ye, anyway? Oh, come now, no fellers is doing the river for fun, that's certain. You're just government agents. That's my way of thinking. Well, if you can find fun in it, then go ahead, I say. But all the same, we'll be friends, won't we? You bet, strangers. You're welcome to all in this here shanty boat. Ain't no backy about your clothes, your fellers. We meet with abundant courtesy of this rude sort, and weaponless sleep well at nights, fearing not from our comrades for the nonce. We again have railways on either bank. The iron horse has almost eclipsed the fire canoe as the Indians picturesquely styled the steamboat. We occasionally see boats tied up to wharfs, evidently not in commission, but in actual operation we seldom meet or pass over one or two daily. To be sure, the low stage of water, from six to eight feet thus far, and falling daily, and the coal strike, militate against navigation interests. But the truth is, there is very little business now left for steamboats, beyond the movement of coal, stone, bricks, and other bulky material, some way freight, and a light passenger traffic. The railroads are quicker and surer, and of course competition lowers the charges. The heavy manufacturing interests along the river now depend little upon the steamers, although originally established here because of them. I asked our friend, the superintendent at Mingo, what advantage was gained by having his plant upon the river. He replied, We can get all the water we want, and we use a great deal of it, and it is convenient to empty our slag upon the banks, but our chief interest here is the fact that Mingo is a railway junction. By rail he gets his coal and ore, and ships away his product. Were the coal to come a considerable distance, the river would be a cheaper road, but it is obtained from neighboring hill mines that are practically owned by the railways. This coal, by the way, cost one dollar and ten cents at the shaft mouth and one dollar and seventy-five cents landed at the mingo works as for the sewer pipe brick and pottery works they are along stream because of the great beds of clay exposed by erosion of the river it is fortunate for the stability of these towns that the ohio flows along the transcontinental pathway westward so that the great railway lines may serve them without deflection from their natural course had the great stream flowed south instead of west, the industries of the valley doubtless would gradually have been removed to the transverse highways of the new commerce, save where the latter crossed the river, and thus have left scores of thriving communities mere longshore wrecks of their former selves. This is not possible now. The steamboat traffic may still further waste until the river is no longer servable save as a continental drainage ditch, but, chiefly because of its railways, the Ohio Valley will continue to be the seat of an industrial population which shall wax fat upon the growth of the nation's needs. By the middle of the afternoon, we were at Wheeling, 91 miles. The town has 50,000 inhabitants, is substantially built, 
of a distinctly southern aspect well stretched out along the river but narrow with gaunt treeless gully-washed hills of clay rising abruptly behind giving the place a most forbidding appearance from the water there are several fine bridges spanning the ohio and wheeling creek which empties on the lower edge of town is crossed by a maze of steel spans and stone arches the well-paved wharf sloping upward from the ohio is nearly as broad and imposing as that of pittsburgh houseboats are here by the score some of them haunts of fishing clubs as we judge from the names emblazoned on their sides mystic crew south side club and the like for the first time upon our tour negroes are abundant upon the streets and lounging along the river front they vary in color from yellow to inky blackness and in raiment from the dude smart in straw hat collars and cuffs and white frilled shirt with glass diamond pin to the steamboat roustabout all slouch and rags and evil-eyed wheeling island three hundred acres up to thirty years ago mentioned in travelers journals as a rate beauty spot is to-day thick-set with cottages of factory hands and small villas and commonplace while smoky bridgeport opposite on the ohio side was from our vantage point a mere smudge upon the landscape wheeling creek is famous in western history the three zane brothers ebenezer jonathan and silas typical old-fashioned names these bespeaking the god-fearing bible-loving scotch presbyterian stock from which sprang so large a proportion of trans-allegheny pioneers explored this region as early as seventeen sixty nine built cabins and made improvements silas at the forks of the creek and ebenezer and jonathan at the mouth during three or four years it was a hard fight between them and the indians but though several times driven from the scene the zane brothers stubbornly reappeared and rebuilt their burned habitations before the revolutionary war broke out the fortified home of the zanes at the creek mouth was a favorite stopping stage in the savage haunted wilderness and many a traveler in those early days has left us in his journal a thankful account of his tarrying here the zane stockade developed into fort fincastle in lord dunmore's time then fort henry during the revolution and every one who knows his western history at all has read of the three famous sieges of wheeling seventeen seventy seven seventeen eighty one and seventeen eighty two and the daring deed of its men and women which help illumine the pages of border annals finally by seventeen eighty four the fort at wheeling that had never surrendered was demolished as no longer necessary for the wall of savage resistance was now pushed far westward wheeling had become the western end of a wagon road across the panhandle from redstone and here were fitted out many flatboat expeditions for the lower ohio later in steamboat days the shallow water of the upper river caused wheeling to be in midsummer the highest port attainable and to this day it holds its grounds as the upper terminus of several steamboat lines below wheeling are several miles of factory towns nestled by the strand and numerous coal tipples with their begrimed villages fishermen have been frequent to-day in houseboats of high and low degree and in land camps composed of tents and board shanties with rows of signs and tarred pound nets stretched in the sun to dry tow-headed children abound almost as nude as the pigs and dogs and chicken amongst which they waddle and roll women folk busy themselves with the multifarious cares of home-keeping 
while their lords are in shady nooks mending nets or listlessly examining trout lines which appear to yield but empty hooks they tell us that when the river is falling fish bite not and yet they serenely angle on dreaming their lives away a half mile above big grave creek one hundred and one miles we too hurry into camp on a shelving bank of sand deep fringed with willows for over the western hills thunder-clouds are rising with wind-gusts level fields stretch back of us for a quarter of a mile to the hills which bound to the bottom at our front door majestically rolls the growing river perhaps a third of a mile in width black with the reflection of the sky and wrinkled now and then with skulls which scurry its bubbling surface the storm does not break but the bending tree-tops crone and toads innumerable rend the air with their screaming whistles we had great ado during the cooking of dinner to prevent them from hopping into our little stove as it gleamed brightly in the early dusk and have adopted special precautions to keep them from the tent as they jump about in the tall grass appeasing their insectivorous appetites footnote a upon the ohio and kindred rivers the term wharf applies to the river beach when graded and paved ready for the reception of steamers such a wharf must not be confounded with a lake or seaside wharf a staging projected into the water footnote b it was in this neighborhood a mile or two above our camp where the bottom is narrower that captain william foreman and twenty other virginia militiamen were killed in an indian ambuscade september twenty seventh seventeen seventy seven an inscribed stone monument was erected on the spot in eighteen thirty five but we could not find it end of chapter five recording by robert hoffman